Welcome back to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. In this episode, I have an awesome interview with Paige from Farmhouse Vernacular. Paige and her husband purchased a rundown farmhouse in rural Kentucky in 2017, and they have spent the last five years renovating it into a cozy, somewhat historically accurate home. She has a YouTube channel, an Instagram, and a blog where she shares everything about home design, efficiency, canning, self-sufficiency, and farm life. Join me for this episode because we talk all about how to love and appreciate old homes. You're listening to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. My name is Stephanie and I am a wife, a mother of four, and the creator of the blog Winging It on the Homestead, where I help modern mothers incorporate simple living and self-sufficiency skills and knowledge into their busy lives. My goal is to help you refocus your life towards what really matters, your family as well as boost your confidence so you can start being more self-reliant and decrease your dependence on stores and commercial products. Join me as I share with you my appreciation for creating a homemade and homegrown life through cooking, food preservation, cooking from scratch, and making your own products, all while keeping it practical, intentional, and realistic. All right, guys, I am so excited today for my guest. Um, Her name is Paige from Farmhouse Vernacular, and she has a really awesome YouTube channel. I mean, I just, I've I've watched her videos, but I just binge them all the time because they are just so awesome. She covers things like renovating old homes, old designs, and and antiques, and I just love all of that. So I'm so excited to have you, Paige. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So could you tell me a little bit about your home, your homestead, your business, why you've chosen like this old time, simple lifestyle for your family? Yeah. So um, my husband and I bought an old farmhouse in 2017 um, and it was a wreck. (laughs) It was horrendous. And every single room has needed to be gutted to the studs and built back up. So when we bought the house, um, I started documenting it on Instagram because I thought, all right, in five years, maybe I can make this into a business that would let me stay home here and raise my kids. And five years later, uh, Farmhouse Vernacular is my full-time job. I have three part-time amazing people who work with me, and we are currently building a business for my husband as well so that he can also be at home with us and we can raise our kids together. And we've really chosen this lifestyle because we value freedom a lot. That's kind of our core, our core value is we want to make sure that we um, have as much say over our time and how we spend our days and where we spend our days. And the farmhouse has kind of facilitated that in a variety of ways, not only because it's on land, but also because it, you know, it gave me my business. So (laughs) that's kind of how we got here. Yeah, that's great. I think the freedom comes definitely with this lifestyle. Um, Yes. Uh, the freedom of time and and money and just making your own decisions. Um, So as like myself, a fellow like lover of old stuff, because that's kind of like really what you talk so much about on your YouTube channel. Could you tell me a little bit about like how old your farmhouse is, where you get your inspiration for making it um, what it is and, and how you envision it to be? Absolutely. So our house, the best I can tell, it was built in 1906. Um, It's out in the country, so we don't have a ton of resources on how to figure it out. But I did some digging and I was able to guess that it's from about 1905-1906. When we purchased it, they told me it was built in 1912. And I just don't think so. (laughs) There's just some clues in the trim work and the doors. Uh, I just don't think it's that late. Um, As far as inspiration for the house, um, I had a very, very strong feeling when I walked into this house that this was where I was supposed to be. 
And as we've renovated it, um, kind of my guiding principle has been if the man who built this in 1906 had access to today's resources and had access to today's uh, requirements, I guess, things like electricity and indoor plumbing, what might he have built? So it's kind of an alternate history that I'm aiming at. I, I wanted to look as accurate as I can for the time period while also being functional for us. So I'm I'm not really interested in having, you know, no electricity or the house didn't have running bathrooms, indoor plumbing when, when it was first built and we now have two bathrooms. So I'm not trying to make it look like it looked in 1906. I'm trying to make it look how it might have looked if it was built today, but with the aesthetic of 120 years ago. And through all that, uh, I'm an engineer by training and efficiency is very, very big to me. So I am trying to make this house work as hard as it possibly can, because it's not a huge house. It's about 2000 square feet, which is a good size house, but it's not enormous. And so I want to make sure that everything we're doing, we can put storage where we need it. We can put extra little hidden pieces of storage if we can find places to put them. Um, and so kind of marrying that efficiency with the old fashioned aesthetic is really kind of what I go for. Awesome. Um, and you, you mentioned being an engineer or being trained as an engineer. You went to school for that. One of your most recent episodes of your podcast that I love is where you talk about like the five pillars of a hardworking home. Could you like elaborate on that a little bit? Because you put it in a way that I never thought about before. Yes. Uh, so th this that episode of my podcast actually started because I was just kind of thinking about what goes into having a house that works really, really hard. And I think a lot of houses are designed to work really hard. They might work differently today than they do or than they did a hundred years ago, but they still work really hard. And so the pillars that I came up with are efficiency, self-sufficiency, thrift, beauty, and love. So as just kind of like a brief overview of each of them, I think to have a, a very good hardworking home, you have to be efficient. And what efficiency looks like for everyone might be different. For some people, it might be meal prepping for a month in advance. For another family, it might be that everybody in the house wears the same socks, so you don't ever have to match any socks. Whatever that efficiency looks like in your day-to-day -day life might change, but the point is that so much goes on in homes and we are responsible for doing so many things that unless you have some kind of systems, unless you have some way to make it more efficient, you're just going to be drowning. <laughs> yeah. The second one is self-sufficiency. And this again, can mean different things to different people. A phrase that my mother always said growing up was you either have to be able to do things for yourself and fix things for yourself, or you have to have money so somebody can do it for you. You don't yeah. really have an option. Those are pretty much your only two. And so for us, um, we very much value being able to fix things ourselves, to be being able to fix our cars and do the renovations and cook our own food. And that's kind of leaked into homesteading as well. Um, but I think self-sufficiency is another very big part of having a house that works really hard for you. Um, then thrift, this doesn't necessarily mean that everything has to be secondhand or you have to have, um, you know, less desirable versions of things. It just means that you're very conscious about where your money is going. You know, if, if you guys really value vacations as a family, then we figure out how to cut down the grocery budget so that we can get that. Just being conscious of where your money is going and making sure that lines up with what you want your life to look like. The last two are beauty. And this one, it 
I guess it seems a little bit frivolous if we're talking from a purely pragmatic standpoint, um, but I love my house. It's my favorite building in the entire world. And when I walk through it, I just get so happy because I think it is beautiful. And I think I've done my best to make it beautiful for me. And I think that's valuable because if your house is going to be where your family is and where, you know, all of this, all of this stuff happens, it may as well be a place that you want to be. And I think beauty really helps with that. And then the last one is love. And that is just that inside your home, you are doing so much to, to show your love for even, even if it's just yourself, it's like you're making yourself coffee or you're feeding your cat or you're cooking for your family or you're having people over. So making sure that your house is filled with things that can help you express your love, I think is a very, like, like the last pillar of a hardworking home. I love that so much. And I think what, at least what it sounds like to me, it's like, there's just a, an underlying, like intentional, like and purposeful yes. there through everything that you do and the way that you think. And it kind of comes, I mean, it's not going to be immediate. Like you were talking about making, like developing systems for your house mm-hmm. being efficiently. That, that's because you know what works. Like you kind of lived in the chaos for a little bit, you know, and you, at least that's how Absolutely. definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. And the intentionality is really, really big because I think once you start to kind of realize that you can live however you want, it may just take time to get there and you might have to make certain sacrifices to get there. But I, I feel like I can handle just about anything that life throws at me if I'm choosing it, if I'm picking to be in this particular kind of chaos, or if I'm intentionally working towards something that's much easier to handle, um, the, you know, stressors and things that pop up when I know that I'm working toward a dream or something that I really want. That makes sense. Um, so I love, I love how you talk about the efficiency. Um, and you also, I think in that episode, or maybe it was something else that you were talking about allowing time for like your own energy level. Mm-hmm. You know, like knowing how some days you're, you're like ready to go and, and going to tackle everything. And then other days you like, just don't want to do anything. Can you tell me how you kind of balance both of those? Absolutely. Um, I think the first thing to realize is that being a productive person is, is more like charging up a flywheel than it is like a firework. So you have to put in small amounts of energy continuously to get this big, heavy stone of your life rotating faster and faster and faster. And once you have it rotating, it's kind of easier to to coast on days that you have less energy. But the, the idea of, you know, having a couple days where you're just not productive and then explosively doing a whole bunch in one day, and then, you know, burning yourself out and not doing anything for a couple days, like that's a cycle that's just exhausting. So one of the ways that I try to be efficient is to seriously break down my tasks. And so instead of, you know, writing clean the dining room, I I will write clear off the table, put the chairs away, you know, dust the pictures. I'll write down all of the little steps that go into this larger task so that if I have a day that I'm not feeling explosive, a day that I am not feeling like I can do the entire dining room at once, I can just do one or two things to move that project forward and, and make a little bit of progress without completely wiping myself out. And that has sort of trained me to, um, you know, always be able to do something productive every day, but also allowing myself to have days where I have no energy and everything is chaotic and I don't get anything that I want to done. I can still make a little bit of progress and that's just very beneficial for my mental health. Yeah. 
Well, I can imagine. Uh, we're not robots, right? So it's, right. <laughs> what I really love with your YouTube channel is that you talk a lot about um, the research that you do. Like it's clear that you've researched the um, different styles and different uh, types of antiques and furniture and all that kind of stuff that goes goes into um, creating the decor of your home. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about, like where you get your home design inspiration or how you do your resources? Like wh- what your favorite resources are? Right. So there's kind of two parts to this. Um, a lot of the permanent fixtures in my house, like uh, bathtubs and sinks and trim and things like that, those are all inspired by the era of the house. Um, but most of the colors and the decor are purely things that I just like. <laughs> and I've mentioned um, on by various channels before that my house talks to me. And he does. He tells me what color he wants in his rooms. Um, and the way that kind of works is I'll just put different colors up on the wall. And it's like, I'll, I'll put it, a sample up and be like, nope, not that color, not that one, not that one. And then I put the right color up and he goes, yep, thank you. That's the one I want. <laughs> but for um, a lot of the inspiration that I was hunting for as we were trying to put this house back together, because it, oh my gosh, this poor house. I don't think it has been properly cared for or renovated in his entire life. Um, it just, they just put layers of stuff on top of the walls. Like they didn't, when they ran electric in it, they didn't run it behind the walls. They just built more walls on top of the plaster and ran the electrical in there. And it's just, they had carpet and just, they pulled down walls and pulled off all the trim. So there was just nothing here to work with. So when I had to figure out what to put back, I was trying to look for what's called primary evidence, which is evidence of the time period from that time period. So I didn't go to a book where someone told me, this is what houses looked like in 1906. This is what I think they look like. I went to find actual pictures of houses from 1906. And there's a couple different places to do that. One of the best resources for figuring out anything about old stuff is archive.org. It's a free website and it is just a massive compilation of documents. And one of my favorite things on there are the historic catalogs. So you can find um, like Sears and Roebuck catalogs or Montgomery Ward catalogs from the turn of the century in the early 1900s. And those are full of I mean, they they were like the Amazon of 120 years ago. So they had furniture and they had saddles and they had combs and they had clothing and they had all sorts of stuff. So you can get a lot of information about what things looked like 120 years ago. And that is a really useful way to start dating antique pieces of furniture to figure out, oh, I have this piece and here it's in a 1912 catalog. It's probably from 1912. But at the same time, there are also catalogs for like plumbing companies and tile companies. And so when I was doing our bathrooms, I was able to look at those plumbing catalogs from 1912 and kind of replicate them as close as I could, even though, you know, it's a little off from, from the actual age of my house from 1906, but it's pretty darn close. So archive.org is a really, really good resource um, for a lot of print references And then my other favorite resource takes a little bit more digging, but it's house listings of houses that have not been renovated. And usually the where you're going to find them are in cities, um, especially when when the houses are, you know, $20,000, $30,000, very run down. And you obviously couldn't move into them. But a lot of times those houses haven't been touched. And so if you go on, you know, Zillow or any kind of real real estate 
realtor site, you can, you know, set your price range to be 50,000 and under and look through those houses to see if there are any for sale that haven't been renovated. And it just takes a lot of, a lot of doing, honestly, a lot of looking and um, kind of internalizing what different eras look like and then you can start to get a sense of oh this is probably about a 1910 house or oh this is an 1880 house and a lot of times those ones that haven't been renovated still have their original trim still have their original kitchens still have original woodwork and you can use that as reference to build from that is awesome so helpful i mean so smart too like just <laughs> those resources are available and that you would think to look at those thank you so much oh yeah um, because we're kind of at our, with our house, we bought our house in 2012. I don't know when exactly it was built, but it needed a lot of renovations. In fact, it was had been converted to a commercial building. So we mm -hmm. had to put in a whole kitchen. And, and then once we started tearing things down, it needed all electric and new plumbing. So we got it to a point where it was like livable. And then mm -hmm. I never painted a thing, touched <laughs> anything because we were like burned out at that point. And then yep. kids happened. And so now I'm like, okay these white walls are driving me nuts. I don't know, like, it's just boring. Mm -hmm. So I'm ready to start like designing. And then I'm really realizing that furniture pieces that I did pick up don't match together. They're not even the same kind of thing. Um, I bought them because they were cheap or we needed a dresser. So I bought it. So that's where we're at with our house. So this is so helpful because I don't know, I'd like to honor the time of the home because it's, mm -hmm. I don't know how old it is, but yeah, but I don't know where to start. So that is so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Absolutely. And it does take a little bit um, to to kind of figure out what the house wants, which is part of the reason that I love to buy things secondhand. I, I thrift yeah. and antique just about everything in my house. And part of that is because I just like antiques, but part of that is it's kind of low cost if I get it wrong. Like if I buy, if I spend $30 on a side chair at an antique fair and bring it home and it only works in my house for six months, eh. Okay, I can mm -hmm. I can resell it on Facebook or I can send it back to the thrift store without feeling too bad about it. <laughs> right. No, I agree. I definitely love thrifting. I mean, I the other day we were at a thrift store and I just bought like these silver, I don't even know if they were all silver, but like silver plates just for like collect like on a dresser, you know, collecting yeah. those things. But if you were to buy that at like home goods, it'd be like 12 bucks or something. It was like two dollars, you know. So just exactly. things like that. <laughs> like you just yes. save money. And it's just the same concept, but just you know old. Okay. So one of the other things that I really love in your YouTube channels that you've talked about is the, a modern kitchen versus like an antique or old time traditional kitchen, because you oh, talk about like, how you, I loved, I loved it. And I'm kind of sad that I've already renovated my kitchen. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, if I had heard this before, not that I don't love my kitchen, but I would have probably done things a little bit different. Cause I wouldn't have had a fitted kitchen like I do now. Right. Cause that's now yes. what we're expected. So could you please tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. So we'll just do this as kind of like a history of kitchens. Okay. So <laughs> kitchens and houses from about 1900 and earlier are what is called unfitted. And unfitted just means that with the exception of the stove and maybe a sink, nothing is fixed down. Nothing. There are no built-in cabinets. There are no islands. There are no 
um, you know, upper cabinets, lower cabinets. The only exception is you might have a butler's pantry that is a separate room that might have some built-ins or some shelving in it. But for the most part, kitchens were completely unfitted. So you had um, Hoosier cabinets to do your baking on. You had work tables in the center to do your, your main working on. Um, you had maybe some shelves hung on the wall, but you didn't have all of these fitted cabinets. And by fitted, we mean things that are built in that really can't be moved around very much. Now, what happened is in the 1940s and the 1950s, houses started to get smaller and most of the people in the house started to do the actual work of being in the kitchen. So instead of having, you know, like a, a maid or a helper or something, it was just it was just you in the house cooking and doing all of the cleaning and everything. But as houses got smaller, you didn't have the room to do the unfitted kitchen styles of the past. A lot of these old farmhouses have some big rooms. Like these kitchens are, you know, 15 by 15 or 20 by 15, or they may only be 10 by 10, but then they have two gigantic pantries. Like they, they were just laid out differently. Mm -hmm. And as the kitchens got smaller, you needed to build in cabinets in order to make the most use of the space and make sure you actually had places to store things. And of course, it was a it was a complete departure from the Victorian kitchens. It's like, oh, we have these fancy built-in cabinets. Look how modern we are. But then houses started getting really big again in probably the 70s, 80s, 90s, and especially today. So the problem is that we have these modern kitchens that are enormous and they're completely full of cabinets. And when we moved in this house, we actually had mm, about five times the amount of cabinets that we have now. And half of them were empty all the time because I didn't know what to put in them because it was just so much storage. And because the houses have gotten bigger, we just think, oh yeah, we just have to keep putting more cabinets in because we have the space and look how luxurious it is. But I, I love the unfitted kitchens. And part of the reason is that I change my mind all the time and I like to be able to move things around. And so in my kitchen, I have a sink that is fixed to the wall. I have two two foot cabinets on either side of the sink. And then I have my pantry. And other than that, I don't have anything built in. I have a work table in the middle. I have a big stove and everything else is just kind of open. But I love the the unfitted kitchens of these these older houses, because one, you have so much flexibility. Um, we, we, anytime I can something or anytime I do, you know, a big project, I can move things around in my kitchen to help accommodate that. And then I can put it back. Um, and I just think they're, they're really pretty and it looks like furniture as opposed to a bunch of big built-in cabinets. And it's very easy to switch things out. I mean, since we finished our kitchen, I have had two more stoves and a different work table in the middle. And it doesn't take very much to switch it out and kind of make the kitchen feel fresh. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these antique farmhouse kitchens were used to putting out a lot of food. I mean, people made three meals a day, 365 days a year, all the time. And so just because they they didn't look like modern kitchens doesn't mean that they didn't work quite as hard. So when we did our kitchen in this house, I really wanted to try to marry that aesthetics with the efficiency and uh, we did a fairly unfitted kitchen and I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Guys, if you haven't seen her kitchen, like if you haven't followed her on YouTube, it's like, it's just beautiful. Like that yellow color and the stove. Oh my gosh. It's <laughs> <Yes>. gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> my Craigslist stove. Absolutely. <laughs> now, when you have like that and you have, do you start with like a vision of what's going to be, or do you just, do you just kind of get like, 
I don't know, like pieces and then they just kind of fit together. You make them work together. So it it depends on what I'm hunting for. Um, for a lot of the rooms, I usually end up with a very specific vision in my head of one angle of the room. And so then it's just a relentless trek <laughs> to complete mm-hmm. that vision and make it come to life. But when I'm hunting for antiques um, and decor, if it's a large piece, if it's a piece like a dresser or a rug or a bed or a refrigerator or something, I will typically have about five of those things that I need at any given time. And I just look for them on rotation. I don't usually buy things on a whim anymore. I used to (laughs) have a seven foot couch from 1835 that I completely bought on a whim, but (laughs) trying to be trying to be good and not do that anymore. (laughs) Um, especially since I'm running out of room in my house. Yeah. But usually, um, like in a, in a specific room, the way it's worked out in this house is each room kind of has its own wood color. So our bedroom is cherry. Our study is oak. Um, my dining room is kind of uh, mahogany and reddish toned woods. So the way that I collected everything was I ended up with pieces I liked, and then I just sort of grouped them by wood color and it worked out fine. (laughs) But now, you know, as we have two rooms left in this house to work on, we have to do um, two bedrooms. So I know I need beds. I know I need wardrobes. I know I need dressers, but I'm being much more deliberate about those pieces because they're so large. Now for, um, like art and decorations and things like that. There's a a really fun little exercise that I did on Instagram once and it turned out really successful. And it's just called the 10 things exercise. And you go around your house and you pick up 10 things that you absolutely love. Like like if you saw them at a thrift store, you would fling your body across them and say, this is mine, nobody take it. Collect those 10 things and put them together. And it doesn't matter if they match, doesn't matter if they go, it doesn't matter if they are like not perfectly styled. These are just 10 things that make you really, really happy. And then you put them together and you take a picture of it. And what, then when you're out thrifting and you see something, you have your that picture as a reference and you say, okay, does this new thing I'm wanting fit in with all these other things that I love? And if it does, then usually I bring it home because that means it's going to make me happy and it's going to like please me to look at it and it's going to just raise the overall level level (laughs) of happy in my house so for small things I try to make sure they match my style my personal style um and then I'll bring them home but for larger things I try to be a little bit more deliberate um and go hunting on Craigslist or marketplace for Mm -hmm. them that makes sense yeah oh that's awesome I'm gonna do that exercise although honestly I don't have much on my walls and stuff they're all packed away from things that I've collected I'm ready to put things out though. So, oh no. yes. And the 10, <laughs> the 10 things exercise is really fun because a lot of people, um, who did it with me on Instagram didn't know if they had a style or not. And then when they did the exercise, they said, Oh, look, I like, you know, mid-century <laughs> modern lamps and Victorian mirrors together. I just happen to like the way that looks. And it just gives you a frame of reference to start adding to yeah. your collections. Oh, that's cool. That does sound fun. So, I would be like completely remiss if I didn't try to pick your brain about my house. Okay. <laughs> yes. yeah. So if you're, if you're cool with that. Um, so we bought our house in 2012. I said, you know, I, I had said, and it is clearly an American four square home. Like it is a square four mm-hmm. rooms staircase up the middle, but we're pretty sure that it was like built on an old barn foundation. Like the walls in the basement are stone. It's got a okay. well in the basement, it had a cesspool on the property. It's, says that it was like, I don't know, some paperwork says like 1960s. I don't know why. Cause it's, yeah. you know, so how would I go about 
we did a lot of renovations and mm-hmm. things. How would I go about like determining the age of the home if there's like awful records on it? And how do I start kind of designing it in a way that would like represent the time? Okay. So there are a couple ways that I know of to figure out the age of the house if you don't really have anything to go on. And my Mm -hmm. favorite one is a little bit of work, but it's really fun. So you're going to trace the deed for the property. So what you'll do is you go to the courthouse and you find the deed uh, to your property. And usually in that deed, it will say, this is the property that was sold in deed one, two, three. And then if your courthouse has good records, you can go find deed one, two, three, which might be 10 years ago or five years ago, whatever. And that deed will say, this is the property sold in deed four, five, six. And then you go back another 10 years and to deed four, five, six. And then it'll say, this is the property in deed seven, eight, nine. And you basically can bunny hop all the way back through history until there's nothing left or until you get to what you think is probably the era of the house. So for example, I know who built this house. Um, We found his name on the back of some trim that we pulled off. And so I I know who built this house. So I was able to trace the deeds back and see that he bought this land from his in-laws in 1903. And then I went on ancestry.com and I looked at when he had his children and when he got married. And I know he had small children when he bought this property. So that's kind of where my guess of 1906 came from like okay you bought it in 1903 probably because you needed a bigger house give you a couple years to build 1905-1906 so that's one possible way to go all the way back through the deeds another way is to look at the tax history of property and see if there was a year when the tax value of the property increased significantly so if you see that you know one year your taxes were ten dollars and the next year they were four hundred dollars a building was probably put on the house sometime between those two years. And then the last one, it, this one is really good. If you're in cities, we're out in the country, so we don't have them, but they're called the Sanborn fire maps. And Mm. they show houses through various years and what was built on the property and what was there. So if you can find, you know, one from 1900 and your property is blank, and then you find one from 1910 and there's a house there, you know, it was from between those two eras. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're trying to honor that time period, I'm assuming if it's in four square, my guess is it's going to be 1910 to 1915. And the good thing about that is there's a lot from that time period. Industrial revolution was fully in swing or a lot of catalogs. So there are a lot of primary evidence of how to, you know, kind of fancy up the house. Mm-hmm. I would say, um, one really big area is trim. If you can beef up your trim, that's a very good way to make things look a lot older. Um, you know, four and a half inch door casing, seven inch baseboards, yeah. like give, give yourself some nice beefy trim. That's what we and have. Then, yeah. Beautiful. Amazing. <laughs> and then for, for colors and things like that, I mean, I'm, I'm a very big fan of painting your house, what colors you want, but if you want to go in the direction of historical accuracy, sometimes on archive.org, you can find color cards and they'd be put out by paint companies, you know, and just say, oh, here's 1915. Here are the, here are the colors to, to paint your house in these years. Or, you know, maybe you look for wallpaper catalogs. And even if the wallpaper isn't something you want, maybe there are four or five colors in the wallpaper that you could pull yeah. out and put in different rooms in your house. So that that's how I would go about it. That's awesome. And you have, I mean, it's clear you've done a really good job of balancing 
bold colors with you know historical accuracy because I don't think they have had teal back then maybe I don't know no <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's beautiful yeah. yes my colors are not necessarily historically accurate but <laughs> I kind of figure that if someone wanted historical accuracy they could paint over it and the rooms would still look pretty good yeah <laughs> but I love yeah. my bold colors so I can't I can't do anything else you kind of make decisions with like well I can change it if I want to like nothing absolutely yeah <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> like if it's gonna take me a weekend to repaint it then, I, then I'm fine yeah that's 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 good I kind of have to get my husband on board with that like I may be picking this a couple times but you know oh yeah <laughs> awesome this is this is just like so good I love old houses <laughs> I mean I get like a literal buzz like my whole, oh, bus, yes. my whole buzz Absolutely. When I'm in them. my husband who's a builder is like oh we'll just build a house and I'm like but I want an old house <laughs> <laughs> so like I need an old house like I know you can build a new house and I'm sure you can make it look old but it's, it's not the same you know? no, I do have to plug my friend <laughs> quickly. Um, his name is Jay Osborne and he runs a website called freefarmhouse.com. He has created house plans based on ulcers. So if someone wants to build, but, um, or wants an old house, but can't necessarily get one, or it's not in your price range, or you have to build for various reasons, his plans are incredible. They He, he has one little one that's based on a farmhouse he found in Virginia, and then he's got a larger one that's about 2,500 square feet that is based on um, like a southern, uh, like a beautiful southern house with big porches and everything. Fantastic. He's amazing. So if you have to build, go yeah. to freefarmhouse.com. <laughs> freefarmhouse.com. Okay. Yes. Awesome. I will look into that. That's awesome. Now, were you and your husband like, you, well, you said you were went to school for engineering, but were you like, did you know how to do some of this stuff? I mean, I'm sure he's handy. I'm sure you're handy. I'm sure you guys, you know, have no. a handy attitude about it. Basically, everything. no. No. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't know anything. Um, yeah. He worked growing up. He built some porches and he framed in some walls. And so he had done some stuff like that, but we were pretty much starting from, from nothing. Yeah. We didn't know how to do anything. And so we actually did, um, our house has two halls. It has an upper hall and the lower hall and they're stacked. And we did that, th those rooms first because they didn't require any plumbing. They didn't require, you know, major structural work. They didn't require all these difficult things. So we were able to learn how to do, you know, drywall and windows and things like that. Um, and then we just kind of got more and more complicated as we moved through the house. And now the last two rooms we have are bedrooms upstairs and we're just like, there there's no there's nothing challenging there we know how to do yeah, all that right um but yeah we were pretty much all self-taught um youtube university and uh, <laughs> you know a lot of i would say but both of us being engineers did help because we <laughs> i like to say that engineering gives you enough information to know why the rules are written the way they are and so you can kind of bend them if you need yeah to. you knew enough to be dangerous um, but probably. we were able to see yes we did we very much know enough to be dangerous and <laughs> so we you know a lot of this house just had horrible things done to it you know doors yeah. cut in walls with no framing to support it and all of that stuff yeah. so we just had to kind of figure out how to make it all better and and we've I think we've done a pretty decent job so far and we've learned a heck of a lot in the process yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Like so inspiring. I don't know. It, it just makes you feel like, oh, just watching yourself, looking at your, um, your home in the videos and everything. It just makes you feel you can comfort and the welcoming and the happiness that's just in your home. And I think that's really important to create for your family. You live in your home, right? So, right. <laughs> well, I'm glad that comes across because I it love does. My home it absolutely more than does. <laughs> um, 
So do you have any uh, homesteading or self-sufficiency goals for like the next year or so? Do you set goals? How does that look like for you? Um, It depends on, you know, what you mean by goal. I, <laughs> I have aspirations and sometimes yeah. life comes in and is like, absolutely not. You're not going to yeah. do that. But um, the thing that we're really focusing on this year is gardening. I love canning. I love preserving. Mm -hmm. That is my favorite part. I love having chickens. We have cows. We've had pigs at one point. I love all of that stuff. I hate gardening. And yeah. so I'm like, you know what? You want to grow your own food. If you, if you want to can food, you got to figure out how to grow food. So we are yeah. focusing on um, learning how to garden this year. And we're going to attempt the back to Eden method, which mm. is basically where you plant in a bunch of wood chips and yeah. mulch. And theoretically, it cuts down on weeding. <clears throat> so we're going to set that up this winter um, to get kind of like a, a good mulch pile going and then hopefully be able to to plant in the summer and it'll, it'll go well. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah, we are um, not, we have gardens every year, but mm -hmm. they are not always successful. That's for sure. Yeah, and I just it's starting to bug me that I don't know how to do it, which is usually why I learn things. I'm like, well, I, I know, I know all of these things around it, but I don't know that thing. So I guess we're going right. to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And usually by now, like it's, I'm like ready to get out of the garden. I mean, I love it. I like in, the, in February and March, it's like, let's get that garden in. I'm so I'm yep. super pumped, but yeah. So Absolutely. I'm going to try that. Actually, you say the back to Eden method. I'm going to do that also. Um, yes. I always say weeds are fine. I'll weed, I'll weed. No, I, no. I never weed, mm -hmm. never, ever. So I hate it. Absolutely hate <laughs> it. So, but apparently it's really good for holding on to That's moisture and I, I don't know. So we're, we're going to, we're going to go on a, a gardening adventure and hopefully this time next year, I'll be so sick of canning because my garden will have massively produced. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Well, it's a lifelong learning process. You know, you're never going to know. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> I am so excited that you were here and spoke with me today. It was so much fun. I had a great time. Thank you so much. <laughs> can you tell me all the ways that my audience can find you? Absolutely. So I am Farmhouse Vernacular on pretty much everything. We've got uh, YouTube, we've got Instagram, we've got the podcast, which is the Vernacular Life. You can go to farmhousevernacular.com um, and see everything there. I have a couple of different courses on how to improve your self-sufficiency. I've got a canning course, I've got a sewing course, we've got an ebook on efficiency. So I'm kind of just, just here to, to help and hopefully entertain you as you become more self-sufficient and uh, maybe paint your home some bold colors. So I, you know, if I see you over there, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Everyone, you definitely need to watch her YouTube. She just has like such an uplifting, fun and um, joyful approach to everything. I just love it. So thanks oh, again thank for joining me. It's been such a pleasure. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. I used to do this all the time. Especially this time of year, as my harvest starts coming in, it can be difficult to properly store everything and make sure I either preserve it in time or use it up. That's why I created this guide. This guide has everything you need to stop wasting fruits and vegetables that you either grow yourself or purchase at the store. Learn how to properly store 25 plus fruits and vegetables to help them stay fresher longer. This guide also includes a month by month seasonal timeline so you know when to stock up on inexpensive and high quality fruits and vegetables to save you time and money. Again, you can grab that free guide at www.savemyveggies.com. As always, if you have any questions, want gardening advice, or have a topic suggestion for the podcast, please email me at info at